All right, welcome back to the bench. We are very excited for our next guest, uh, Miss Shelly Sheets, who is no stranger to the game. Um, Shelly, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Brian. Doing fantastic. Now, we, we all, uh, obviously, we're, we're huge fans of you, and, and I know we have a lot of people out there who, who know your story, but, you know, let, let's just start. You know, it, tell, us, tell us how it was growing up in Iowa and, and just, you know, how did you get your start in the sense of just being a basketball player, falling in love with the game, and, and, and really allowing that to be a pursuit? Yeah, you know, back in the day in Iowa, I mean, the game was six on six. If people remember that game, it was six on six. And so I grew up, um, well, I tried not to grow up playing it. So what happened was, is, you know, the girls were always separated from the boys. And in gym class in elementary school, I had to go play the six on six game and the boys boy had to play five on five. And I'm like, dude, I want to be over there. Like, I don't want to do this half court thing. And so, you know, I grew up with a bunch of kids, you know, boys on my street. Um, so as soon as school dismissed, we were in the driveway playing. Uh, come second grade is when everyone kind of divided up into, you know, the YMCA, right? The city leagues. And so I wanted to play with my fellas. I want to play with my guys. And so my dad went down to the YMCA, talked to the director, and I'm sure they had a, a very um, uh, good conversation, let's just say. Uh, and I had to actually try out. And so they gave me a couple games. I made the team and from then on, I played with the boys from second to sixth grade, five on five. And then when I got into junior high, you know, the boys went on to, you know, play flag football and it was a really big separation. Well, I started playing AAU basketball. And, you know, when I grew up in Iowa, I mean, we had Brenda Freeze, we had Marsha Freeze, we had Molly Goodenbauer, um, you know, Molly Tideback, you know, all these guys were, were Iowans. And so, you know, I, I didn't want to play with my junior high team because they had to play six on six. So I just played AAU. Well, they wouldn't let me play both actually because they thought two different coaches were going to tell me two different things and that would confuse the young mind. So I just played, I played AAU basketball from like sixth grade all the way to high school. And then when I got to high school um, is when I first was the first time I actually played with my classmates. And that was five on five because grew up in a big city we were playing five on five then, but uh, the state of Iowa was big. Um, split 60, 60, 40 with uh, six on six, five on five. They were the class of the state tournament. They played in the prime time. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up in Iowa, I mean, for you, who you know, West Coast, East Coast people, there are a few states in the middle um, and Iowa actually borders the state of Illinois. And back in, you know, the eighties when I was growing up, I mean, that was Michael Jordan. You know, I grew up in the Michael Jordan area and era, and so I would watch, you know, WGN, right? I We had all the Bulls games on TV. I would go out my driveway and emulate what Jordan did. And, uh, you know, when the, I was 30 minutes from the University of Iowa, so, you know, from Lou Olson's teams to uh, George Raveling's teams to watching uh, B.J. Armstrong to Steve Carfino, Greg Stokes, whose daughter later played at UConn. Uh, yeah, so I was a, I was a hoop junkie from the time I was little to, well, to today. Uh, and so, yeah, but I, I grew up getting, you know, the snot beat out of me by the boys. And then obviously when I got into AU, the older team was, was made up of Molly Goodenbauer and Brenda Freeze and, you know, beat us up too. So I, you know, got toughened up pretty, pretty early on in my basketball career. 
it's amazing you talk about the six on six because you know I've had conversations through the years about that type of basketball with my grandmother <laughs> and my mother actually my mom and my grandmother both played in high school the the you know the six on six which you know I think in New York that you know that stopped quite a bit sooner than than Iowa obviously yeah um, the last the last two states that played six on six were Iowa and Oklahoma and the six on six, I mean, they, Lynn Lorenzen, who ended up playing at Iowa State, she averaged like 80 points a game. I mean, it was <laughs> Debbie Antonelli. I mean, it was all offense, shoot to your own fall off in six on six game. You wanted to be on that half of the court, let's just say. Yeah, that, my mom was loving that. She was a guard. So she was like, yeah, man, I got to go play on the offensive end. I didn't have to worry about defense. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so you come through that uh, – That was it strange at all at any point to, like, now you, you kind of put yourself back with your high school friends and now you're, you're playing ball with your high school friends? Was it, was it weird or was it – I mean, obviously I'm assuming the competition level wasn't at the same, same type, but uh, was it strange to now be playing with maybe some kids that couldn't do some of the things that your AAU team could do? Sure. You know, it was very challenging, Tony. I mean – high school is hard in itself. Right. And then to try to fit in. So here I was where I was this basketball player that everyone talked about, but yet no one really knew me. So I'm trying to have friends in high school who I don't ever play with. And now suddenly I'm having to play with them, but there was a good group of us Iowans um, in my high school, you know, some played, uh, went on to play, you know, division one bass uh, volleyball and some ran track. And so, it wasn't as difficult as people thought, but it was challenging, sure, to try to fit in and try to be one of the people. Um, but, you know, when you're an athlete, you kind of walk around campus with, you know, puffed out chest and everyone, you're like, you're in the cool group. Um, so that transition was, was, was okay in that sense. Um, but I was a baller, man. That's all I cared about. I just want to play, whether it was after school, in school. Um, I didn't really – I wasn't really there about – trying to make extra friends. Uh, my friends were those who played sports. When you, interesting that you bring up the sort of journey of playing AAU as opposed to playing, say, with your, with your middle school team. Um, I know we're gonna get into your story a little bit here in a minute on, uh, you know, sort of life after high school and whatnot, but I just kind of want to maybe fast forward to present day a little bit and, and a movement we're seeing in girls slash development basketball the prep program where I'm on this prep team I go to my regular high school but I'm playing on a prep schedule because to your point I'm a baller that's what I care about I want to be able to practice as much as I can I want to be able to play as much as I can maybe just shed a little insight into your thoughts on that and we'll come back to the rest of your story post high school but this is a just important time in your life you had that kind of very experience here sort of People think this is a new phenomenon, and you just said, hey, no, no, I did this in junior high. Talk about maybe that perspective a little bit. Yeah, for, for sure, Jesse. You know, I honestly didn't have a choice. If I wanted to play, this is what I had to do, um, and I wanted to play five on five. Right. Uh, you know, so if I wanted to play six on six, I had to stay with my junior high team, um, and that wasn't the route I wanted to go, so I wanted to play five on five. So it was at the church gym with the freezes who had a key to the gym. And that's what I did is shot hoops with Marsha and Brenda and, you know, their family. But I think now today you have a choice. Um, 
in the sense that, oh, I could go to school and then I can play over here. Uh, mine was about the game that I wanted to play. Um, and then, then they, asked, they also made the decision for me where I, I couldn't do both. I couldn't play for my junior right. high team and my AAU. Um, but yeah, I mean, the times change, right? We all, we say, oh, the kids are different, kids are different. No, the kids just have more distractions than we did um, growing up. And, you know, you have all these trainers. Well, my trainer was the paved driveway with the little free throw line that I had that my dad spray painted black. And then the, if you want to shoot three pointers, well, you're going to be in the grass because our driveway wasn't that big. And I didn't have a gym all the time to go to. Um, so I just watched Michael Jordan and then I went out and emulated him in my driveway. I didn't need a trainer. Um, I was kind of a self-made through the, the boys on the street, uh, my neighborhood. And then, just figured it out um, a little bit different. Dive, that, dive into that a little bit more in your story on that driveway. Cause I wrote that down when you brought it up. Cause you're the second straight guest we've had. who's talked about the driveway playing against the neighborhood boys having a major impact on their growth and development, you know? So talk about those moments, maybe a little bit more. I think that's some really important to scratch that. And so people today, kids today, when we talk about player development, you know, can maybe, maybe realize, hey, I don't have to, especially in this day and age, right, where kids are not necessarily getting the hookup with the trainer and go to the gym. The driveway now is make, maybe making a resurgence. So maybe dive into that and how important that was to your development and your toughness and all those kind of things. Well, I think as, you know, when I was in elementary school, our driveway was, it was not the place to be. It was broke. It was just a disaster, right? And so then my dad kind of saw that I was developing a little bit more. So we had a nice paved driveway. It, our, our house became the house, right? Our became the driveway. We put up floodlights. Uh, the neighbors just hated the balls bouncing at 10 o'clock at night, but it was great, right? I mean, this is what we did in Iowa. Uh, you know, in the wintertime, I had to get up early before school, shovel the driveway. The sun would melt it during the day. I'd come home after school and I'm out there, you know, shooting some hoops. Um, and our house was the place to be right to play driveway basketball. And, you know, I grew up with a bunch of boys and, you know, if I got hurt and I cried about it and I walked in the house, mom was like, well, listen, you can sit here and cry and not play, or you can toughen up and go back out there and play. And I think that kind of molded me of just persevere and, you know, be tough. Um, you know, I was, you know, a buck 25 and I'm five, six, um, on a good day and you know don't quote me on the, the weight now but you know people wanted to push me around and be physical with me even in my college years and I think that up that upbringing and playing with the guys just really toughened me up and you can cry or you can go out there and just battle it out yeah growing up in the backyard for me you know I couldn't pay a personal trainer or anything those weren't around but your imagination like I think every one of us probably had unlimited amounts of counting down the clock for that oh. game winning shot. Um, and if you missed, you got fouled, you know, so. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's so true. I mean, you know, I, I unfortunately, you know, I was uh, working on my, uh, my range, let's just say my three point range and the ball had maybe a little bit too much air and I actually broke a window on my parents' uh, wedding anniversary. So when they came home from school, when they came home from work, that was a little explaining to do on that one. It's like, see what had happened was with the ball and 
yeah, and it just, yeah, you know. And my dad's like, just make the shot next time, dude. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, you, you can definitely see, I can get a glimpse of how you were uh, in that driveway. You know, your passion, your love for the game, you invested a lot into it, uh, thus taking you far not only in your career, but just in life in general. Uh, but let's take, take, uh, take you back to that decision time when you're kind of shifting through college scholarships, college opportunities, um, you know, kind of like all of us, we've seen the recruiting game change tremendously. We've seen opportunities in terms of club teams, tournaments grow uh, in a great deal. Uh, but just kind of, you know, talk a little bit about your experience uh, when you started getting maybe letters um, and kind of take us through that decision process. Yeah, you know, good times back in the day, right? Thinking about that stuff because, you know, the, the AU team I was on, the Martin brothers, we were, we started out the Panthers uh, and our, our club coach is Mike White, not the Mike White, but the Mike White in Iowa for us. Um, he was a great guy. We went to the Martin brothers and you know, our team was really good. All 12 of us went on and signed Division One scholarships. But my very first recruiting letter came from Gail Guestencourse, who was an assistant coach at Purdue with Tom Collin and Lynn Dunn was the head coach. And my mom loved Coach G, like loved Coach G. And so they were like, ah, oh, you're going to go to Purdue. Well, I grew up a Hawkeye. You know, Iowa was 30 minutes down the road. I met Slater Hall staying the night with my brother and playing in the field house on the weekends because that's where he went to school. And, you know, everyone's like, ah, oh, she's going to be a Hawkeye. Well, you know, it whittled it down to five. I had five schools. And you remember back in the day, you had home visits, right? And then you did your official visits and then you committed. And people typically committed right up until the signing period uh, on that Wednesday. And so I did my visits. Um, I had Drake. Uh, I had Iowa, Purdue, NC State, and Colorado. So the odds of me going to a school that had the black and gold were pretty, were pretty good in a favor of, of one of those schools. Um, you know, when it came down to it, uh, you know, I was on my visit at Purdue. My whole family went. Everybody thought I was going to be, you know, a Boilermaker uh, at the time. Um, and I was there on my visit with Glenn Robinson, uh, who played on the men's team. Uh, Michelle Joseph was my hostess, uh, Trisha Callup, who's now at Toledo. She was on the team. Um, and, but I always promised all these coaches that I was going to wait, take all my visits and then commit. And, um, lo and behold, my last visit was Colorado. And the only reason I visited Colorado was because my mom and coach Barry became like tight and Colorado was not on my radar. They weren't even in my top 10 for home visits but I happened to be at the grocery store with my dad. Coach Barry called my mom. They became buddies. She said, oh, this woman, Seal Barry, is going to call you in an hour. You need to answer the phone. And I'm like, oh. So sure enough, that's how Colorado kind of got in the mix. Then they made the top five. Um, but I was going to Colorado to show my mom the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. My mom loved the Rocky Mountains. And so that I was going on my official visit for my mom. And my last weekend before signing date, my mom and I are on this visit Friday morning. They pick me up at the airport and we're coming down. If anybody knows 36 coming into Boulder, it was done. Like it was done. I was committing to Colorado. And after the, throughout the weekend, I knew the whole weekend I was committing, but I didn't say a word. I just enjoyed it. I was like, this is awesome, man. And then, uh, 
got home Sunday night and surprised everybody and committed to, to Colorado. And my mom got to see the Rocky Mountains for four years while I played. And yeah, and, and really had a great, great, it was a great decision for me um, to, to be a Buffalo. So, so going, I'm going I'm to stay here a little bit with the recruiting process and whatnot. And, and obviously this, this, you know, this platform that we created is, is a lot for, for the generations behind us. Right. And, and I mean, you were a mentor of mine when, when I came up uh, and started my career. So that's what we're trying to do. How has recruiting changed or, or what were the things that, that those coaches were doing to you that, that you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stay true to that. And then what were the, some of the things that you may have steered away from? And, and I know technology has changed and just the way we do things have changed, but, but go more into the mentality of, of the work ethic and, and how they actually recruited you. Yeah, they, you know, all, all five of the schools recruited me just a little bit different. Um, they were at different levels um, as far as their successes. Um, you know, Colorado wasn't necessarily on this national stage yet. Um, they had a, they had a, a good team, you know, their 88 team went undefeated. And so they were on the rise. Um, you know, Purdue had, had a lot of success in the big 10, uh, you know, NC state with coach Yao and, and their success in the ACC at the time. But um, I, I wanted to play. And so I was all, all about like, okay, who's on your team? Who's going to be my competition? And by the way, who else are you recruiting? Because I think I'm just going to be better than them. Like I was, I was a five, six little turd. Like I was probably, I talked a big game, but I felt that my work ethic, I just was going to be the best. And um, I just, I wanted to play. I wanted to go to a football school and I really kind of was my opportunity to kind of get away. And Colorado kind of checked all the boxes. And when I came in, you know, I told everybody what we were going to do. We were going to go to the final four and our goal was to win a national championship. And this is what we were going to do. And Colorado kind of checked all the boxes for me. And my good buddy at Purdue, uh, we were recruited at the same time, Jennifer Jacoby, and she was Miss Indiana basketball. Who's going to compete with Miss Indiana basketball at the same time going to Purdue? I was like, Jacoby, dude, I love you, girl. We played against each other in AU, but I was, I was like, I'm not going to compete with you for four years. And I know we can play together and alongside, but um, she had a phenomenal career at Purdue um, and they ended up going to the final four as well. But I just, uh, I saw all the pieces of the puzzle that Colorado was putting together. Um, you know, coach Barry at the time was like 36. She was young. I mean, back then there was some star studded coaches in their thirties. Now, we don't see that as often as in our game of, 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 you know, high level coaches at that age. Um, and just really connected with her, her drive and her competitiveness and just, she was very authentic. And I really uh, grabbed on to her, her vision, but just, she was, she was all about basketball and, and driving and being the best that our team could be. And, and I just gravitated toward the, towards that. Okay, so now take us through that time period then. So, so you go to Colorado, you make your proclamation, you know, where you're exactly <laughs> going to go, where you're going to be. You know, you go through that whole process. You know, obviously Coach Barry, I'm sure, is, is ecstatic that you're saying these things because now she's like, you know, yes, let's do this. Um, so how was that process? I mean, in the sense of 
you know, resources and all the things that we, you know, the teams have now versus then and, you know, how you guys made it work to get to that, that point. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I was, you know, people could say, oh, I went to school and I majored in basketball. I actually did get a degree from Colorado. I did. I went to class. That was fine. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Go Buffs. Um, but, you know, I had the need to apply speech by Coach Barry, um, where I needed to apply myself in the classroom as much as I did on the court. Um, and I was like, listen, Coach Barry, I'm like, do you want a Kodak All-American or an academic All-American? I said, because I'm not sure I could do both. Um, she didn't necessarily think that was a funny thing, but I would thought it was hilarious. Um, I got in trouble a lot of times for being in the rec center at, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, but at least I was safe. I wasn't messing around and I was just playing hoops with the guys. And, uh, you know, back then we didn't start basketball until October 15th. So technically I was on the track team for most of the fall because <laughs> uh, that's all we did was run to the track, do track workout, run back. Uh, and lift weights because we couldn't be on the court with the, with the coaches. Um, so I just worked on my game. But, you know, I was very, very intentional about my fundamentals. And, you know, you hear, uh, you know, Kevin Eastman talk about that and, and why the best are the best. And uh, I really – I'm diving into that book again for the second time. But um, being from Iowa, we were all about fundamentals. And, and so was Coach Barry. And, and Barb Smith, the assistant there, and we were just driven. We were just driven to be the best and, and to win. And so we didn't really get caught up in everything that was happening around us with the success we had. And because we were just so driven on the next game. Um, can we get to the next game? Can we win the next game? Okay, what do we have to do to win the next game? Um, and yeah, but we had some phenomenal teams. I had some unbelievable teammates and the pieces of the puzzle to make us so successful in my four-year career um, there and, and a great coaching staff to go along with it. Now, when you were there, I just asked this question about the uh, Bulls and stuff. Did, is, is that when uh, Seal started running the triangle stuff or was that were you before that? I was pre-triangle. I was pre motion offense. Yeah. I, we, we, it was just motion, man. We were the easiest team to scout, right? We picked you up full court, man. Um, we had maybe six, seven, uh, quick hitters into our motion, which is the motion, right? Pass to the wing down screen for the opposite post, right? Get me back out to the wing, cross screen, down screen. I mean, that was like our motion. I mean, we were the easiest team ever, but you know, back in the day, like my guy was Kenny Anderson played at Georgia tech, little lefty Southpaw from New York. Like, oh, Kenny was my guy. I had highlight tapes that, you know, the v VHS right? VHS tapes that we, yeah. Uh, I had a highlight tape of Kenny Anderson, man. If I could ever get a signed jersey from Kenny Anderson, like, oh, that would be, that would be Christmas. We'll get Tony to work on that. He's got connections back there. I'm sure uh, somewhere on the golf course, maybe. I'm sure he's got connections. Shelly, talk a little bit. I, I want to, you know, again, resource for young coaches and, and, and you mentioned, you know, Hey, I'm driving into Boulder done. I know I'm committing, but I, I think that's a, that may have helped, but you kind of touched on it. And my sense is, is that you picked up on coach Barry, coach Smith, the staff's 
like-mindedness in their ability to harness your mentality of, do you want a Kodak All-American or an academic All-American? And there must have been something that resonated in the conversations that you had that first one. Obviously, you know, we know family is important to recruit the family. Obviously, your mom influencing your decision, had that helped, right? Like that got you thinking, took you from Colorado's not even in the mix to, okay, now I'm going on a visit. But I really want to drill more into that. How did you, what was something that that staff did that you realized that you were going to be able to um, manifest that competitive nature with this group of coaches? Because it, it's, it is about that. And, and I think that, you know, we talk a lot, as you know, on the show about that transformational mentality. So something happened there for you to spark that, like, this is where I know I can go. Because, I mean, you, you name drop some big time programs with big time coaches that you could have gone to, and maybe you had the same type of career, but I think probably in your heart, you know that this decision was made in there. And maybe looking back, maybe at the time you couldn't identify it, but maybe now as you look back, what, what was that connection there that allowed you to, to flourish in the way you wanted to compete? Yeah. You know, I saw Coach Berry's uh, coaching path, right? So they, you know, she was a young coach getting her first start at Cincinnati. Um, but even before that, she was the first one to ever receive a, a basketball scholarship at Kentucky where she played. And so I saw this drive in her and learning her path, right? Her not only playing career, but then her coaching path. And I saw that drive that she had where she had to navigate some kind of some, some obstacles, right? Um, going back to my grow, growing up, navigating through those obstacles of the six on six, five on five, playing with the boys, playing then finally with my, my peers. Um, and, and then she, she, the AD there kind of took a chance on her, right? She was young. Um, she wasn't a proven coach. And then she kind of started to build this program. Um, like I said, uh, the program, the team's, uh, 1988, um, team had a point guard, uh, who ended up playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. And I was like, wow, man, they developed that point guard. Like, man, maybe I could be something like that in, in that program. If they did that, why couldn't they do that with me? And, uh, and then just Coach Barry's uh, vision that she had of, of my career. Um, we were kind of on the same wavelength. I was a little bit more probably outspoken about what I wanted to do <laughs> and accomplish for not only as a player, but at, for our teams to accomplish um, than she was. Um, but just that drive that, that she had. And then you know, she, she was able to push my buttons, uh, with, with pushing me to another level that I did not know I had. Um, and she was very famous for asking rhetorical questions in practice and I'm competitive. I mean, I'm like locked in, right? I mean, practice is like a game, like, let's go throw the ball out, whatever drill you want to put at me. Um, back then we, practice guys weren't really popular, but we had this practice guy that had to come in and defend me because we didn't, weren't really had a lot of depth at the guards and he would just deem me up and be physical with me. And, and I'm passionate player. I'm, you know, in it. And she would ask me rhetorical questions about I would give her the answer. Like I would answer it. And she's like, um, I got thumbed out of practice at least once a year for asking for answering one of her questions. Right. Um, I was infamous for that, but, um, but no, I mean, the drive that she had, she got a lot, she got everything out of me and, you know, extremely thankful um, for her and playing for her and Barb Smith. Um, but it was, the, it was definitely that drive. 
And before Jab, yeah, before you go, that story piece, I, I think that's, you know, we've talked about that on our, that's the theme of our show is letting people tell their stories. And I think if coaches realize how impactful their sort of non-actions are, just sort of their journey and story are for in, we're talking about recruiting right now, but just in the context of their success, like it's more about what people know about you than, than almost than, than who knows you in a way. Right. So, I mean, what I hear you saying and pulling from that is you just resonated with her story was your story, you know, and, and that connection is what crossed that bridge there. So I really appreciate you drilling down in there. Cause I think that's really important. You know, we've tried to allow that platform and for people to understand that, some, it's not all the glitz. It's not all the, you know, obviously she hadn't done it yet at a high level. So I love that you just, that point, I really want to hammer home. I think that's such a great share right there. Thank you. Yeah. And, and Jesse too, is I also wanted to be a part of something that they hadn't accomplished before. And that was also my drive at Colorado. I was like, man, I want to put them on the map. And, um, and through that, you know, my, if we go back to, you know, some of the years, my sophomore year was when we really kind of landed on the map where we played, got to the NCAA tournament, right? Second year, we had six seniors. I was a sophomore. We go to Missoula, Montana in the Sweet 16, and we match up with Stanford. And Stanford is just coming off of a national championship. They have Molly Goodenbauer, who's a senior. Remember, Iowa, right? Beat the snot out of me back in the day. Um, Katie Stedding, um, Val Whiting, uh, Kate Pay, um, uh, Christy Hedgepeth. I mean, they were loaded this year again, and they were all on the path to win another national championship. And here we are, a bunch of no names from Colorado. We show up at Missoula, Montana. We had to hire the, the University of Montana band. They had to learn our fight song. I mean, it was just hilarious. And we go out there and we're like, okay, well, let's just play. And we go down, I kid you not, game tip we go down zero to ten I mean it was like ten nothing like that I was like oh snap here we go coach Barry called the timeout she's like yo we're all right and we just battled back battled back but we won it was our national championship we're we're like pizza party and party in the locker room well mind you in that regional you had USC with Lisa Leslie you're like oh and then you had uh Texas Tech with Cheryl Swoops I mean, it was unbelievable. And here we are from Colorado. We just won, thinking our national championship. And now we got to face Cheryl Swoops in the next day. And I'm like, dude, whatever. <laughs> like, let's just play. Now, I saw more of Cheryl Swoops' backside than I did frontside. Because remember, I didn't, I didn't play defense. Remember, growing up, I was always on the offensive side of the six on six. And yeah, so that's kind of um, – but that, that kind of put Colorado on the map. That really propelled our, our program to keep climbing and – um, and doing the things that we ended up doing um, two years later, which was, you know, the 95 team, uh, which was pretty phenomenal. Now, as we, as we go from there, what point or what stage uh, in your life did you think that coaching was going to be in your future? And, and, you know, was there a moment or was it just something just because of your love for the game, you knew that you were going to try to do or stay a part of the game of basketball for as long as you can. And then also what mentors did you have or who most influenced you uh, in becoming a coach and transitioning from a player after you played professionally into being a coach? Yeah, no, great question. Um, 
you know, Gavin, I heard on an earlier podcast when you said, uh, if you want a good laugh, you need to tell, you know, tell God your plan. And uh, I tell you what, back in second grade, I told everybody, listen, I'm going to get a division one scholarship. I'm going to play pro ball. And then I'm just going to be a college basketball coach. Like I knew back in second grade that this was my plan. Now, there were some speed bumps I had to get up and over to, to accomplish that. Uh, and a lot of hard work. Um, you know, people will say the word sacrifice as, as a negative. Nah, it's just, it was just my path. That's what I chose to do um, to, to, to navigate my journey. Um, but as far as mentors, um, I just watched a lot of people, you know, growing up watching Coach K, I became a Dookie at an early age for no reason this Iowa kid is a huge Duke fan because I loved watching Tommy Amaker play, but just how coach K kind of navigated his team, how he, his presence on the sideline, um, you know, obviously, you know, I alluded to the Chicago bulls and watching Phil Jackson. Um, you know, I, at the time I didn't get into all his, you know, quirkiness, you know, that he had, um, in, in the things that he did with his team, uh, you know, but my, my siblings, my brother, uh, my brother Scott probably was the biggest influence. Um, he played sports and just kind of growing up with him and he taught me how to play golf, but he was always my driveway guy too. Um, and then my dad was my phenomenal rebounder. He just rebounded for me. Uh, he didn't know a lick about basketball, but he rebounded and he thought it was pretty cool. I kept making all the shots and rebounding became a lot easier for him. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay, so in college, you had the mentality of becoming the All-American, right, which achieved. As a coach, what was that drive like? I mean, I mean, how – where I would like to, you to go is, you know, a lot of people try to compartmentalize their life and try to compartmentalize that emotional decision that they're making in any part of their life. How was it with you? I mean, obviously you started at a very young age making a decision. I want to play five on five, five. And the only way I'm going to do it is with those guys. Mm-hmm. You, you go to a school said, we are going, we are going to do this. You talk with your coaches. I'm going to become this. You, you, in second grade, you, you knew your path into a coach. So where, where did this drive come from and how were you tapping that into some of the some of the, some of the speed bumps that you talk about getting into the coaching world. Yeah. My, well, my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, he was, uh, an NCAA track runner at Iowa state, uh, had some four by four, four by one, uh, track records. And I always say I got it from my athleticism and drive from that side of the family. Um, but my grandfather passed away when I was early age at five and, but I always heard the stories of him. And so that's kind of, just trying to make him proud, I guess, um, to achieve some, some of his athleticism level, um, and success that he had. And, you know, I probably ruffled a lot of feathers on my, on my journey. Um, I was, my leadership style didn't really flow very well. Um, sometimes with my high school teams and even in college teams where I was probably the best way to describe my leadership is, I was a kind-hearted butthole saying that nicely um, just because I was driven, but I also felt that um, the, the teammates, I could get more out of what they were, what they were doing as well um, by being the cart kind-heartedness butthole that I, I was and, and pushing them 
Um, no one likes to be pushed out of their comfort zone. Uh, I didn't, obviously, Coach Barry and I, you know, butted heads sometimes as well. But I would say that that drive came early on and then obviously evolved um, through the years. And, well, one, one follow-up. So, so we've been watching some of these docu-series, right? Like Jordan had, had his, and we, we knew the story of Kobe um, early in his career. So, so how was that for your teammates? Like, like, like what was your, dur- during, during that moment of being the kind-hearted? Um, <laughs> so, so like, how, how did they respond to it? What was your learning curve in communication? And did you find yourself having to go through that same this mindset, problem-solving decision as you became a coach with, with some of the players that you're trying to pull the greatness out of and, and they may not have been wired the same way as Coach Barry or, or you know what I mean, like knowing fundamentals gets you this and so here's the process we have to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I spent a lot of time uh, in Coach Sparb Smith's office <laughs> and uh, a lot of learning curve there because – I had to learn how to, you know, body language, tone of voice, uh, when to say some something to someone on the team. And so really getting to know my teammates where I had to spend more time with them. Um, I think early in my career, I, I probably isolated myself, didn't hang out with my teammates because I was at the rec center, right? I was with the rec center with the guys team um, and the football guys um, and, and playing hoops there where I might have it would have been easier for me to spend more time with my teammates, understanding them, getting to know them off the court to have that better relationship on the court. And so early on my freshman year, um, we had one senior, uh, Debbie Jacobson, and her sole responsibility was to take care of this one (laughs) and make sure I was following the line. And um, through Debbie, through Barb Smith, and obviously the mentoring from, from Coach Barry as well, um, I had to develop those skills because um, no one's going to tell you that in high school, right? No one's going to tell you that. But in college, they set me straight. And so quickly in my college career, I got back on my feet and I started developing relationships with my teammates. I understood who I could push when, um, say things to who and when, um, you know, in, you know, Reagan Peebley, who Reagan Scott, who's now at TCU as, as a head coach, she was my teammate. She came in my, um, was she was a, my senior year, senior year, junior, junior year. That was a class of uh, six freshmen. And she was one of the six freshmen on that team. And um, so Reagan and I talk extensively about some of that leadership and um, that drive that I had that uh, I instilled in her um, to push her to another level as well. But now it was a lot of communication. I was not by any means a great leader early on in my career. And then taking that into coaching, um, I probably have a lot of patience, a lot of patience for, for people um, developing their role on a team um, and, and, you know, trying to mentor them. Um, Cause I'm like, I, I wasn't a great leader either, but Hey, these are some things that I did um, and try to help them navigate as well. I think that uh, is a huge piece of it, that self-awareness and, and the ability to be vulnerable. We've talked about that many times about, you know, just saying I wasn't very good at this but I learned and you can too. You know, I mean, I think some of those things when you can make some comparisons and, and just say, you know, I've not always been perfect my whole life. You know, it's just like you, you can make mistakes and improve. It's that process of learning from those mistakes. So now you're a coach and I guess, how did you choose where you started and, and then maybe any moves that you made after that? 
Well, as soon as I uh, left Colorado, I played in Germany, in, uh, in Wuppertal, Germany. It's the northwest, northwest, northwest corner of Dusseldorf, Bonn, and Cologne. I actually played with Sandy Brondello, who is the head coach for the Phoenix Mercury. Um, and my assistant, our assistant on the team was Olaf, who's the assistant for the Chicago Sky. So basketball, you know, is a small world. Um, I played there, came back, uh, played for the Colorado Explosion in the ABL League during its existence. And then when we folded at Christmas, I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? Um, the WNBA had, had taken shape, right? And so they were just now starting. And I wasn't ready to kind of dive into that uh, just yet. So I thought, oh, well, hey, let's do coaching. So back then the internet wasn't prevalent, right? It was the AOL dial-up, you know, IMing people. Uh, <laughs> so it was a lot of handwritten letters like, like Brian, you know, you did, right? You wrote letters and put a stamp on it, send it out, and you just hope that it got to the right person. And I did that, and I got hired at Washington State, my first coaching gig. Had kind of knew what I was doing by the mentoring, watching, you know, the Colorado staff uh, and those sorts of things. And uh, first coaching gig, you know, wasn't the right place for me at the right time. Um, so I left um, after that, that first year and moved to L.A. and started meeting a couple of you guys. Um, because I then I was in LA and then I got into uh, San Diego, got a job at San Diego, and that's when the West Coast was the West Coast Conference with all of us as assistants and you know hanging out and rock paper scissors who's going to Canby at the Oregon Trail tournament, <laughs> you know during July. But um, yeah, it was just um, I did have the name that people would recognize that oh she was that player to help get me in the door, but. I really felt that I had to put my head down and kind of grind at being now a coach and what I could bring to the table as opposed to just, Oh, Hey, she was this all American who played at Colorado. I really had to, okay, can I teach the game? Um, can I do X's and O's and, and can I recruit? Um, and so those were kind of obviously the three things that you really need to dive in and learn as a coach. And um, yeah, so I just put my head down. I watched people uh, navigate their, their career and, just really picked up on things that they were doing. I'm like, oh, I'll do that. And what fit me and just kind of navigated through, through the, through the coaching gig. And I know in those days I had to play in practice. So I know you were playing in practice. <laughs> too, and I'm going to answer my own question, I think, but I'm fairly certain you didn't give them any breaks in practice. You kind of just blew them up. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, well, if you could remember, I mean, I coached with Eric Johnson at San Diego. And, you know, we played morning ball with David Fisdale, who was on the men's staff at the time, and Sam Scholes, who's now the head coach at San Diego. And so we'd play morning ball. And then in the afternoon, obviously, then I was like a practice player slash coach uh, slash everything back in the day, right? And so, so Eric Johnson was assistant with me. And that dude did not take any dribbles, but he was – spotting up on the wing and all I had to do was you know drive and kick drop him a dime and it was nothing but net and so that was our practice squad was <laughs> Eric and I and then at night we played um intramurals we, we were the coaching squad and the intramural team against all the college guys and we had Carrie Nakamoto who was our other assistant and she could shoot the lights out um picked up a baseball assistant a vo the volleyball assistant and we were the coaches squad who we got like three intramural championship rings, so pretty solid. 
I know you are proud of those, and the only person I think might be prouder of those is Eric. But yes, <laughs> I, uh, um, but yes, that's awesome. But I, I I knew that. I just wanted to throw that in that um, those of you that are watching, you young coaches, if you've got to get out there and play, no mercy, no mm -hmm. mercy. Not at all. I'm too seasoned right now, though. I, I call myself a seasoned coach, and I'm a phenomenal rebounder. But hey, I got I maybe have like I'm a phenomenal dummy defender. And a great rebound. I got maybe one slide in me, defensive slide. After that, I'm like, dude, whatever. And that's it. That's it, man. Shelly, dive into a little bit because you, you maybe alluded to it. Uh, you get started at Washington State. You, you make the decision to kind of step out of that for, for whatever reasons, it, and, and that's not where I'm really going. But then you fast forward, and you end up taking a couple years out of the profession. And, and, and now you've come back into it. Maybe talk about that journey a little bit, the decision to do that, the things you learned during that time that are helping, that are growing your journey right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. yeah, great question. Um, I get that a lot um, of like, oh my God, you stepped away and like, oh my God, you came back. Um, so, you know, I was with Eric uh, for 11 years total um, you know, we were at San Diego. It was like a marriage. We were together four years. We separated for three. We came back, <laughs> you know, for another four at, at Denver. And then we went on to Boston College uh, when he got his, his call up to the ACC. And, you know, we our staff was together for, for eight years. We had a phenomenal staff with Lisa Faulkner, who's done phenomenal things at, at Point Loma. Um, great coach. Um, you know, Yvonne Hawkins, who's uh, at Albany. Uh, now and then and Eric obviously who uh, has stepped away from the game but you know I was in my 15th year and you know people can say it was burnout people could say I got tired Wh whatever you want to label it as um, I just knew that at that time I was not able to give Eric 100% 100% of the time and I've always said that I could never look him in the eye as much as I love the dude. He's like my brother that if I was given less than hundred percent to him and then he had to go home to his wife and kids and say, babe, we got, we got let go today. I couldn't do that to him. I did not want to be that person that, that caused that. And, you know, him and I talked a lot about three months through this transition of do I step away? And we talked a lot. We had a lot of tears. Um, but I just, I couldn't continue not watching that film the way I should have been watching that film or making those recruiting calls um, the way I should be making those recruiting calls. I couldn't do that to our staff and I couldn't do that to Eric. And so he sent me on some really, you know, long vacations and weekends and <laughs> just go and think about it again. And um, it just made the decision to walk away. Uh, and I didn't have a job. I just, I just say, Hey, I just need to take some time away. And, you know, and then in our coaching world, everyone's like, okay, Oh my God, what happened between you and Eric? Or why are you walking away from your dream job in the ACC? And I've never done this in 19 years for a title or the status or the money ever. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't good. I wasn't good at that time for Eric. And so, yeah, so I walked away. I walked away from a six-figure salary to making nothing, to walking away from my coaching family who 
um, who are my dear friends who I talk to all the time right now, um, even when we're not on the same staff. Um, yeah, I walked away and I was okay with it. And I got myself right. I took two years. I worked at Under Armour. I worked for the KL Cancer Fund, learned the nonprofit. And I did all the play for K's for the collegiate level. And um, I knew when I walked away, though, Jesse, that it was just a timeout. Like, I was only taking a timeout. I was always going to get back in. Um, but I tell you what, Jesse, my two years out, um, I stayed in touch with, all, you know, all you guys, right? The successes and speed bumps that you all had and, you know, giving you guys shout outs. But I had to, I had to scrape, claw, and beg to get back in. It was a challenge to get back in. I couldn't get a job. And I was going after video coordinator jobs. I was like, dude, I'll sweep the floors. I'll be a glorified manager. Like, dude, just whatever it took. I just, I wanted to be back in. And, you know, Joe Logan here at Loyola, um, he needed an assistant, a seasoned assistant. And my buddy, uh, Calamity and Ryan Gensler, um, you know, at Dayton said, Sheets, man, my guy up at Loyola needs somebody, you know, like you with experience. And I'm like, dude, I don't know Joe Logan. Yeah, but there's a lot of people in your circle that, that, that do. And so I called up Eric. Eric's like, oh, my God, I know Joe Logan. I'll give him a call. Sure enough, boom. You know, I got my foot in the door. I got an interview. And I didn't get hired here until October. And October 3rd, you know, I'm trying to move up here. And October 4th was official practice. <laughs> and you know, three years later, it's, it's been, it's been great. And, uh, very, very, very thankful for Joe Logan to get me this opportunity to come back and, and, uh, to be rolling with you guys, man, to, to be a coach. I mean, I, I, I love being called, you know, coach sheets. It's just, I take a lot of pride and, um, you know, and it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to be a coach and to coach these, these young women. Some of our uh, younger listeners trying to get into the game, uh, trying to break into the profession. Uh, I know I can speak from my experience. I kept the shoebox of all the letters back then that, you know, basically told me, thank you for applying, but we're going a different direction. Um, not necessarily as motivation, but yes, kind of like the motivation, you know, make sure I keep my, my head down and I keep doing what I need to do if that is what I want to pursue. Um, but speak a little bit more about, you know, while you're trying to get your foot back in the door, um, whether it's, you know, kind of evolving, try to stay busy, stay relevant, um, like what kind of advice or what steps would you uh, kind of pass on to the younger generation trying to break into the profession? Because it's not, it's going to be filled with speed bumps. It's going to be, you know, there are going to be paths where you think it's going to go this way. No, you're going to have to go this way. Like just some advice, some uh, good feedback for them so that maybe if, you know, they can, jot down and take advantage of that yeah you know that's a great that's a great question gavin because you know how many times do we you know well right now we're getting on zooms listening to these coaching clinics and like oh yeah that's awesome i'm gonna bring that to the table well sometimes that stuff doesn't work but you need to keep it in your notebook right because you might be in a situation or it might come back around where you do need to kind of use that as a resource um but yeah, it's, it's tough to navigate, you know, this coaching world and to get your foot in the door, but you need to be authentic. You need to be you. Um, you need to have, uh, don't be a part of the all lobby team at the final four. Don't be a part of the lobby team where, you know, you're sitting there and, oh, and there goes that coach and you're running up to them. Um, you know, you need to develop relationships and, and be authentic. Um, I've been called a connector 
Um, but where I, I connect people, I just, I enjoy people. Um, I enjoy relationships and staying in touch with people and developing that. And I would cold call people um, and just tell them, hey, I watched you guys play. I really like this action. And that would start the conversation. Um, but yeah, friend, friendships and being authentic in this business, I think is, is really, really important. Um, and not just like, oh, I'm going to call, you know, Corey close because she's at UCLA. And da, da, da. I mean, Corey might take my call, but then she's going to remind me that I also ended her career in college because we beat her Santa Barbara team. So I'm like, oh yeah, Corey. So there's always that little, you know, jab, but um, I just like, love people's stories and you can Google people and you're going to have a connection with them. Um, and, th and that's what I'm, I try to be genuine about in my relationships with people. That, that's what I would say. Be genuine, be authentic. Um, but yeah, reach out to people. If you're interested in learning something or you're interested in learning about, uh, you know, something that they do in their path, call them up, start a relationship with them. You, but you need to have your mentors in this, in this business and mentors that are going to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is not going to always be, you know, real kind, but I think the truth is really important for us to grow, right? Um, those challenges, those speed bumps, if you don't have those each and every day, then are you getting that 1% better every day? Well, that, that's a perfect segue. And before uh, we ask you the final question, I just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And, and I think, you know, you know, the longer you're in this uh, business, I think it was a t-shirt somewhere, right? The longer you're, you're, you're out of the game or, or from playing, the better you were type of thing. But I think people have to understand that you're, you were a really good player. Um, you, you became a pro, everything, you're checking all the boxes. And I think it's, it's very, we're very fortunate to have you part of the game again and, and sharing your story. And, and obviously um, being that old school mentor, but you, you do have a great um, perspective because you did step away and you have a different perspective of, of coaching these kids. So um, how, how can people connect? This is not my final question, but how can people connect with you? Um, you know, in terms of how, how do you want to be connected? What's your Twitter? What, what's your handle? Well, I'm learning as a seasoned uh, person um, that I've taken all the security blocks off my, my social media. <laughs> that was step number one. Because, <laughs> um, you know, Brian, like, hey, man, we, we've, we've, we go way back, right, from camps at USD and you guys work in camps and um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, just like, you know, Gavin and, and Tony and Jesse. Um, but you can find me on social media, just Shelly Sheets, pretty simple, um, on all those social medias. Um, my mentors say I need to be on social media more. Um, but I don't get it. I don't get into it. I mean, you've, you've been trying to track me down to, to get on this podcast. Um, I don't, I'm not out there speaking. I've been asked to speak at Final Fours and I always decline. Uh, I don't know if I have anything to say that's worthy or, you know, people are going to want to listen. Um, that's probably the, a little bit of, a, you know, insecurity I have, but uh, I appreciate you guys bringing me on here and tracking me down and, and pushing, pushing me to be on here uh, and, and talking about my story. It's not something I talk about a lot. Um, you know, just, just really focused on, on mentoring our current players and some of the, some of the players today don't really um, want to know kind of what you did. They just want to know like, okay, how can 
this coach make me better. Um, so I don't really talk a lot about my career um, in my past. Um, so I appreciate you guys um, be, you know, allowing me to be on this podcast. But yeah, uh, Shelly Sheets on all social medias. Uh, I tweet a little bit, um, Instagram. I don't do that snap face, Snapchat stuff. I, I'm not very good at that. So <laughs> my nieces need to teach me a little bit more. Um, other than that, but Twitter, Instagram, and the, the old school people, Facebook, pretty solid. So yeah. I stay in touch with all my high school friends. And yeah. So, so last question, Shelly, and, and again, you know, 20 plus years in the business, you, you have your story and, and how it's um, connected you to this point. So moving on to the next 20, what's, what's your legacy going to be? Man, Whew. that's a good question. Um, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I take a lot of pride. Um, this past Friday, I was on a Zoom for a wedding uh, bridal party of one of my former players. And, you know, I take a lot of pride in getting those baby announcements, the wedding announcements, um, you know, seeing these guys that we coach have success and, and obviously challenges, right? And, and you try to help them over that um, through, through their college careers. And man, when they get to move the tassel and put on that cap and gown, that, that's just, that's awesome. And then when they go out and they're so successful in their own way, that, that's joy. That, that's what I take a lot of pride on, um, writing a recommendation letter for your former players, right? That, that's, that's cool to stay in touch. And social media has definitely helped you know, stay connected uh, with, with our former players. But, you know, legacy, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't really think about that other than I just want to treat people right. I do right. Um, you know, I don't like to say I work hard because working hard as Eric Johnson, you just say working hard is like breathing. That's just what you do. Right. Um, but just to be uh, someone, a joy to be around um, people enjoyed that, um, you know, having me as our coach. And I guess that would be my legacy. Well, that's a great legacy to have. And I think that's one that we all strive to have is to, to know that every kid that we've ever come, come encounter, encountered, you know, knows that we're there for them, you know, until the end. So uh, Shelly Sheets, we really want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your story and some insights for uh, all of us. And uh, we'll be right back from the bench. Thanks. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Shelly Sheets, uh, always great perspective, and we always enjoy our time. Uh, I think all of us have had some, I think she's always you know, included in one of our Final Four uh, activities of the uh, Final Four weekend. She's always a part of that. Uh, we always make sure that uh, we're including certain ones, and she's definitely one of those ones that's always on our list. You know, we were talking a little bit, and, and she sort of brought up the, the, and you could just hear the emotion of, her talking about that process of feeling like, hey, I, I'm at this point now where I, I kind of, I don't have the juice right now to, to keep this thing going, coaching. And she'd you know, been doing it at a high level for a long time and deep relationships and all those kind of things. We've talked about all that on the show. And, you know, I kind of want to just take it down where we're talking about a point like that for me, uh, where, where I sort of had to reset, hit the reset button a little bit. Some of it was a decision that uh, my son's mom is also a, at the time was also a college coach, strength coach, um, 
had been at Cal while Tony and I were at USF and then, uh, and then she went to Stanford and we had already made this decision um, that when our son was born, one of us was going to step away from coaching. Uh, and so here I'm division one coach at USF. She's strength coach at Cal uh, responsible for baseball and volleyball and women's basketball and among other teams. And so there was this decision where one of us was going to step away and be a stay at home parent for his first year of life. And really in that whole transition, um, she got the opportunity to go from Cal to Stanford and her number of teams was going to be reduced. So we just made the family decision that it was going to be me. And, um, you know, it was an interesting time. We're going through, there were some coaching changes going on at USF potentially. Um, Coach Heil was, had taken us kind of a year, a timeout. And so we were, it was kind of the assistants. We were running the show with, with Brittany Lindy and Heidi Vanderveer. And it was just kind of an interesting kind of chaotic time for, for me. Um, and so it was this sort of a family decision and, and step away. Um, but what Shelly said, what resonated was, during that time out, I was fortunate enough to be able to tag along on road trips with Stanford, staying connected relationally with everyone in the profession. And, and then, but what resonated with what she said is, I think where I didn't realize that it was that difficult ability once you realize you wanted to go back into the profession, um, and you, you, you've been out and there's, there's just, it's what for you done late, lately business a little bit. And, and that was very, very difficult. And so I think what it opened my eyes up to was that I had to take a non-traditional route, you know, and D-Roy, you can probably talk about that too for yourself a little bit was, so my route was, so I'd been helping out at Stanford, I'm helping run camp and I'm doing all those kind of things. And then uh, as I'm trying to get back in after year two, I really was like, I'm, I'm going to be a high school basketball coach. And I applied for a bunch of high school jobs in Palo Alto and was basically about to take one. And I'm walking across the court after camp one day in, 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 in Naples and Tara walks up to me and says, no, 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 you don't need to do all that. She's like, video coordinators leaving, taking another job. I want you to be my video coordinator. So that moment, you know, where I was like ready to take and had my head wrapped around sort of this out. I'm getting, I'm going to just start here. And, and I've already done it, worked my way up at one point, I can do it again. And that was my mentality. And so, um, so I just felt that that was that non-traditional one. The luxury of being around Maples at that time and, and the situation opened up and that allowed me to get back in. And now I'm in that circle again. And then that sort of allowed me a year later to then, to then go to St. Mary's and, and be there for seven years. So, so I really resonated with what Shelly was saying, you know, in, in that moment. And, but it was really having, once I could wrap my head around, all right, I got to kind of take a tr non-traditional path. And I know we've talked about it on the show a little bit, but that was something that resonated with me and, and just sort of wanted to sort of dive into that a little bit. Tony, what do you talk about that maybe a bit? sort of something that yeah, resonated yeah I, I think you you know you should every year take just take inventory you know where are you where are you at you know what what's you know is the situation that you're currently in is it the best situation for you have you learned something new are you continuing to learn are you uh you know in a good position where you feel comfortable and also uncomfortable at the same time where you're you're trying to expand and get better i know um couple of times in my career, I've had to make choices on where I wanted 
if I wanted to stay where I was or if I wanted to do something different. Um, you know, and it's a scary choice sometimes. You have to say, you know, do I really need to be here any longer? Is there anything else I can accomplish here? Is there anything else I can learn here? And sometimes it's okay to do that. I know when I was at uh, Northern Arizona, I was there four years. Um, you know, we were wildly successful in, in, in the four years I was there for, for that school and that conference um, and uh, decided to leave. And, you know, it was uh, just a choice that I made for my career and just personally, just needing to move and see something new and move on in, into a different situation. And, um, you know, and didn't really have another job lined up. You know, it was just, okay, I'm going to make this change. And, you know, I was confident enough in, in what I'd learned in my uh, relationships that I was able going to be able to find a, another gig that was good. And um, I ended up at UCLA from there, which um, I don't know if I would have planned that it would have gone that way, but uh, that's the way it works. You know, and then I was with uh, Nikki Fargus for eight years, three at UCLA and five at LSU. And again, you find yourself in that situation with, okay, is there anything else I can do here? Is there more that I can accomplish? And, you know, if you want to try to do more and see more, um, you know, you, you, you make changes. And again, I left uh, LSU again with no, um, with no job in, in hand. Uh, it was more like, I was kind of like Shelly was. was like, okay, maybe this is a good point for me to take a break take a breath, reevaluate everything that's going on, being where I'm at. And, um, and uh, then the opportunity came up here at the University of Albany in, in New York, where I'm living currently, which is close to my home. You know, it's an hour from my home. So it was just, um, it was a great situation, great program, great head coach with Joanna Burnaby McNamee. And, uh, you know, it was just a great situation to be in for a couple of years. And uh, again, learned a ton more. Um, but again, those are the opportunities that you have to look for and, you, you know, you have to um, be okay with making those tough choices if it's the right thing for you. Um, I think the more honest you can be with your, you know, your other coaches, your head coach about it. Um, so you keep them in a position where they can make, you know, replace you or whatever it is that they want to do. But I think those conversations that you have about where you want to go and what you want to do next um, is important to be honest so that, you know, you're not, seen as somebody who's looking for the next thing or trying to move all the time and, and not establish any kind of, uh, any kind of roots anywhere, any kind of loyalty anywhere. Um, and it's funny you say that you, that, and Shelly said it too, it just that it was all relationships you were talking about. And then you had to reevaluate what relationship was important to you at that time. You know, for the Albany thing, it was like, I want to be close to my family. Like that, that's part of the evaluation process. And I think want to just double, double down on that a little bit, because I think that's what a lot of people think like, chase, 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 movie you need to talk about, but really it's, and she really hammered that home. And I wanted to take what you were saying too. And that, I think that's so key. And, and think people could look at it in a certain way. And that's one of the things too, you have to understand that you, you don't necessarily have to care how people look at it. You know, they're saying, Oh, you're leaving an, an SEC job to go to the America East and be, right. you know, top assist. But again, the, the experience was going to be different. You know, at LSU, I'm doing, you know, the same thing as a couple other people at, University at Albany, it was an opportunity to help shape the program from the ground and also help two other assistant coaches that were on staff and a graduate assistant that were young and didn't have a lot of experience and help teach them how to, you know, move forward and answer questions in the business. So I think, you know, I think when you, when you make choices and you make decisions about where you want to go and what you want to do, if you're only chasing prestige and money, 
it's hard to stay um, stay happy and and put yourself in positions to learn new things. Well, I think that's the ironic thing about any industry, but let's just talk about, you know, coaching is that, you know, why is this business so hard, not only to stay relevant, but also uh, to stay on that growth path that, that you just need by nature. Right. And, and I think, you know, I, I've, I've had a career and, and been very fortunate that, you know, early in my career, things just kind of worked out not as planned, but they just worked out, right? Like I knew at some point I wanted to get my master's and, you know, I heard Isaiah Thomas say in his induction speech, you know, his mom told him, don't, don't, don't let the game use you, use the game, right? And, and I knew, okay, well, I'm going to use the game and get my master's and it just kind of worked out. And, you know, I, I found myself back on the West Coast and whatnot, but, you know, being at LMU for five years, there was a side where, you know, we talk about these relationships and, and, you know, it's kind it's not rare. I don't want to say it's rare, but you know, Lynn and Julie were together for like 18, 20 years. Right. And there's a relationship much like what Shelly and Eric had throughout their career, even though it wasn't one spot, it was just, they were together for a long time that you're able to have those hard conversations. And, and I remember when, you know, Lynn was talking about maybe taking a step away or looking for a new position. And it forced me to think a different way because she was our recruiting coordinator. I was able to focus on X's and O's and development, you know, where all my passions were. And when she was considering that, I had to reflect and like, okay, do I know everything I need to know or, or whatnot? But I think the biggest thing is, I think you have to straddle that line between individually and then those relationships and, and the vision that you're, that you're, striving for right and, and I think you know when there is a delay in growth when there is a delay in um, or, or a plateau in in you evolving as a coach I think it's it's a it, it's you know Tony you talked about this you know I think we naturally go well what will people think and we probably shouldn't I mean flat out we shouldn't like it, it, it it's not about those people it's about you know where you are and and I remember when we were let go at, at LMU you know, I, I, I met Michelle, my wife, and, and, you know, we had a decision to make, you know, I, I either had some opportunities, I was getting some calls that summer, and, but she also had an opportunity in, in Indiana. And, you know, we were just dating at the time and, and we made kind of the agreement of, hey, you know, let's, I've had my, I've had a great career, 15 years, all this and that. So, Let's invest in your career for the next 10 and then we can kind of, you know, swing back to mine. And, and I've been very fortunate where, you know, basketball found me in all those different spots. And now we're in a, in a, in a space where, um, you know, that pendulum starting to swing back to my career. And now it's, you know, how am I evolving as a coach, you know, and, and, and am I ready for the next, uh, whatever that is and, and preparing you. And so I think it's a very important thing because, you know, Shelly, I go back to what she said, which is, you know, she had to look Eric in the eye and ask herself, am I giving my best? You know, and, and, and even though as assistants and majority of your career, I think nowadays she, to her point, right. There's not a lot of young prominent head coaches, but like, you're going to probably spend a lot of your career as an assistant. 
And so you are answering and you are being there for someone else. And if you can't assist at that level or vice versa, if that person's not feeding you at a certain level, there's got to be a true, um, a true reflection as to what you need, you know? And I think that's what, I mean, Shelly's proof. I think we're all kind of proof that, you know, you can, you can bump back in and I hate saying in and out, right? Like even youth basketball, high school, you're still in the game. But I think right. we're talking about college. We're talking about Division One. If you've if you've been at Division One, and so I think it's it's a it's a big time reflection point. You know that. But Brian, that, I don't want to, and I don't want to get off. I'm going to hit it again because you made the decision in regard to the relationship that was most important to you at the time. Yeah, you had a little forced hand a bit with the with LMU in that situation, but it also gave you opportunity to reframe what relationship was most important to you at that moment. And it was Michelle. It wasn't these other what are the and like you said we shouldn't be so worried about what other people are thinking we should be worried about the people that are our tight circle what they think you know like if i do something i'm worried about what you three think versus some person that might be on social media i don't care i'm, I'm more worried about if the three of you say something to me about something that's going to resonate more so again it's that relational at that time that drives what you're what you're thinking so i just wanted to circle back on that because Again, young coaches, I think sometimes you get caught, and we've had them on, right? We get caught in trying to tick off the box, tick off the box, and it's like, wait a second, like know who your people are, and 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 like Shelly said, develop those. So, well, and I think you know, and I'll just end with this before Gav, you can you can go, but like, you know, Julie Wilhoyt always said this: you you can have anything in the world you want, you just can't have it all, right? And 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 the 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 continuation of that is you may not be able to have it all at the same time that you want it, right? Like I couldn't be a division one coach, but also cultivate the relationship with Michelle to eventually become my wife, right? Like, so like I, there, there's gotta be a give and take. And then now all of a sudden, because we've done that work, now I'm able to, to be exactly what, what I want at this time and, and be able to do it. So yeah, what hit home for me when uh, Shelly had to have that discussion and conversation with Eric, uh, just about she kind of had to hit the pause button and step away. Um, I kind of had the same type of conversation uh, with still one of my best friends in the business, John Newley, who's the head coach at Idaho. Um, when the opportunity for me and Karen to move back to Hawaii to be uh, on that coaching staff, um, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. I felt you know, with John, having spent three years with him as a manager GA, then seven years uh, as his associate head coach, it was like, okay, I felt like I needed to grow. I felt I needed to see kind of what else was out there in terms of how things were done. Um, so it was a little selfish, but at the same time, I just felt like there, for me to grow or for me to kind of further my career uh, as a division one basketball coach, I needed to kind of take that step. But I still remember to this day, that was one of the hardest conversations that I've ever had to have. And I mean, there were tears shed and it, it just, it's one of those things where I cared so much about him and his program that I didn't want to give anything less than my best. But I also knew that I needed to break away uh, to kind of see if I could fly on my own and kind of branch out on my own. And 
um, you know, we're still great friends. Uh, he's still one of my mentors. Uh, I'm actually going to go drive up and spend the weekend at his lake house this weekend. So, I mean, being vulnerable, but at the same time, having those genuine conversations, uh, it's not always a bad thing. Um, and, you know, it gave me some insight to how things were operated differently um, and not always in a good way. I, I still remember a week into the job at Hawaii, like, oh my God, hitting the panic button. Like, did I just blow up my career? Like, you don't know, right? So it's nothing is guaranteed. You got to just kind of trust yourself, trust your heart and kind of prioritize what matters the most to you at that time. Um, you know, so I'm back here in Hawaii and the other decision that has entered my life um, was when the opportunity to work at Pacific with Lynn Roberts came about. Um, it was in July, like what worse time to start talking about another job with your current boss than July, like absolute worst. Um, but I had people who reached out to me and put me in contact with Lynn and it was just, I left family. Me and Karen had our, you know, first girl in Brea and she's one, a little over one and Karen's pregnant with our second child. And what do we have to do? Like, do we want to do this? And again, I think we put our family at the forefront. What's the best decision for our family? Not necessarily me, like career wise, but just our family. Like that's where the loyalty lies. Not necessarily with a program or anything. It's just what am I going to do with my family? It, it, it took leaving Hawaii again. And that's a big, big uh, task to kind of take on with the unknown. So um, again, stay true to yourself, follow your heart, man. And you know, nothing's necessarily guaranteed, but as long as you uh, surround yourself with good people, you know, you rely on some good mentors, people you can kind of uh, have to hold you accountable, um, you know, tell you the truth uh, like we have here. I know any, anytime I get a call from one of you guys, uh, if it's, something I need to hear, I would take it and no arguments from me, but that's all I got. Uh, again, thank you all for tuning in to another episode from the bench. We will see you next week. Take care.